Please remain standing for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Help us this morning to heed the prophet's call. Repent. Make way, make straight the way of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. Let's jump right in. Uh, turn to page 11 of your sermon notes, and you're going to see a brief history uh, of nearly everything. That's a little play on words from Bill Bryson's book of the same title. So this is a brief history of everything according to the Christian perspective. And you'll note page 11. My timeline begins... About the year 2000 in B.C., don't hold me to that exact date, but that's generally where the Old Testament story begins. And in the Old Testament, the birth of Christ is anticipated. So Malachi would be a primary example of what you just heard from uh, Eric as he read. Uh, the Malachi says, who can endure the day of the Lord's coming? Who can stand when he appears? John the Baptist is another example of an Old Testament prophet. Matter of fact, John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And his job is to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And you, I don't need to quote what you just heard, uh, but that is his job. Prepare people for the coming of the Lord. So Old Testament Jesus is anticipated. Christ is anticipated. And Christians believe that the Messiah showed up in Jesus, or Jesus was the Messiah. And for 33 years, Jesus lived. Uh, he died. He rose again. Uh, and he ascended back into heaven. And you can see that uh, marked with the cross. That's when we believe the Messiah came. Now, we believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. And from about the year 33 AD onward, Jesus has been with his Father in glory. Uh, the church, through his Holy Spirit, has continued on his work, uh, the work of Christ. And we believe that Christ will come again. And you see that marked uh, with that little angel, Christ coming in glory. And this, there's a period kind of an overlap of the ages where Christ has come and Christ will come again. And that is where we live. We live in that in-between times. He came once in humility. He came again and he will come again in glory. And for the past 2,021 years, the church has waited for Christ's return. And when that happens, uh, the dead in Christ will rise. We just had a burial of a member of the church. We committed her body to the ground in sure and certain hope of the resurrection that when the Lord comes, they will rise again. The dead in Christ will rise. Those who are still alive will meet him in the air and Christ will judge, he will vindicate, and he will make all things new. The purpose of Advent is to turn our attention to that future day that we have been waiting for for 2,021 years, the return of Christ. And having waited for 2,021 years, it is right for us to think, well, really? Do we really mean that Jesus is going to come again? Isn't this some sort of metaphor or some figurative language? Answer, no. Note how our passage begins. This is uh, the passage from that speaks of John the Baptist. Note all those names, Tiberius and Pontius Pilate. Why does the Bible include these details of people we don't know about or would never know about aside from Pontius Pilate? Why these names? Well, the Bible includes these names because the Bible is setting the story of salvation in real history. Right? That's why we cite Pontius Pilate every Sunday during the Apostles' Creed. It's not because we're villainizing Pontius Pilate. 
As a matter of fact, there's some traditions that suggest he, be, he converted to Christianity. We cite Pontius Pilate because we're setting the events of salvation in real history. The Bible is not a make-believe story, a once-upon-a-time type of story. It's a story God's plan of salvation began at a particular date, the 15th year of this person. And in the same way, we believe that the story of salvation will end and a particular date. This is not a metaphor. This is not a speculation. This is an anticipation, Christ's return, of an event in real time and in real history. Not a metaphor. Will it happen? Yes. Is it important? Yes. Second question, following along in your notes, I include a provocative quote from Richard Bauckham. He writes this, apart from Christ's return in glory, Jesus cannot be called the Christ in any New Testament sense of the word. What does he mean? What he means is that Jesus, when he was here 2,000 years ago, decisively defeated sin, death, and the devil. That's what happened on Easter morning. However, his victory is not yet complete. I still sin. You probably still sin too. Death is still something that plagues us. Uh, the devil still has some reign. The victory is not complete. And what Richard Bauckham is saying is these bad things cannot exist when God fully reigns. In order for Jesus to be the Christ in any New Testament sense of the word, sin, death, and the devil must be fully defeated. And that is what we anticipate in his return. Further, this is uh, Christ's return is central to not only his identity, it is central to his teaching. One of Jesus' favorite subjects was himself. He talked a lot about what he would do. He would go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, rise again. And he spoke often about his absence and then his future return. As a matter of fact, every gospel includes an extended discourse at the very end of Jesus telling his disciples that he will be gone. And he will return. And more importantly, what you and I should do as we wait for his return. And that is what we want to think about today. You heard it in our collect. Help us be prepared for that day when Christ comes again so that we may greet with joy. And that is the role of the prophets in the Old Testament. And that is the role of the preachers in the New Testament to help us prepare for that day. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn from the passage that we read out of Luke's gospel and I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. You'll find that in your pew Bible on page, I didn't mark the page down. It will be immediately after Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, you will find four brief parables. Each of these parables describe Jesus' absence and what you and I should do in his absence. And I'm going to summarize each one very quickly. I'm going to draw a point of application again. This Advent, this is the Sunday in which we ask the question, what must you and I do to be prepared? So let's jump right in. Parable number one, follow along in your sermon notes. This is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. This is the parable of ten bridesmaids. Short summary. Uh, the groom is gone. Jesus in this parable is the groom. Ten bridesmaids are to prepare for his return. Five bridesmaids are prepared 
their lamp is full of oil. That's a cultural reference that we need not go into the details, but five are prepared, five are not. The bridegroom returns unexpectedly. He returns sooner than expected. And those who are ready are welcomed in. Those who are unprepared are excluded from uh, the, the, the banquet. In this analogy, that banquet would be, of course, the joys of eternity. All right? Point is, Jesus may come sooner than you anticipate. Be ready. What must you do to be ready? Well, I believe that one of the most important things we do as a church family is our membership Sundays. We just celebrated a membership Sunday two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And during our membership Sundays, those candidates for membership will stand in front of the church and they will make certain affirmations about Jesus Christ, affirming him as their Lord and their Savior. I believe that is very, very important. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Christ is the Lord, by this you will be saved. Now, I do not intend to reduce Christian faith to a couple of doctrinal affirmations. And if you, if you say, uh-huh, at the right moment, welcome to the family. That is not what I'm suggesting. But I'm, what I am suggesting is Christian faith is more, but not less than just that. What you believe in your heart, what you affirm with your mouth, is very important. We take a trip to Kenya, uh, visit our overseas partners. Uh, a couple of years ago, I took my son Jack at the age 12, 11 or so. And part of the trip is we give our testimonies, right? So and you can imagine there, there some of the, the people we're visiting gave their own testimonies. And, they are colorful, they are dramatic, they are spectacular. And uh, my son Jack got up there and he said, well, I was baptized as an infant, raised in a Christian family, was confirmed at age 11. And then he sat down. And our buddy Gitachu said, that's a true Anglican right there. <laughs> there will be more to his story. There will be more to all of our stories, but thank God there's not less. Here's the point. What must you do to be prepared? You're deliberate. You're personal. Not what your parents, not what your spouse, not what your friends think. Your personal deliberative decision about Jesus, who he is, to you. Your verbal affirmation of the same really matter. Point number one, Jesus may come sooner than you expect. Be prepared. Parable number two. This from Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in the 49th verse. A master goes away. He has two servants. One servant is a good servant. He continues on his work. One servant is a bad servant. He eats all the master's food and he gets drunk. Again, Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, 24, verse 49. And you can anticipate the master's response when he finds the drunk, gluttonous servant. He is kicked out. The point of the parable is Christ's return may take longer than expected. Therefore, you must persevere. And perseverance is part of your faith, all aspects of your, of your faith. 
part of maintaining your belief in Christ, absolutely. But what is a, a focus in this parable is behavior. The wicked servant gets drunk. The wicked servant eats all the food and beats the other servants. The wicked servant in some behaves as if he will not be held accountable for his actions. Do you know the story of Pierre? Nobody? Pierre who did not care? Come on. Maurice Sednak, author of Where the Wild Things, go look up Pierre who did not care. Uh, it's a cautionary tale by Maurice Sednak. I can't believe no one has ever heard of this book. It's a classic. All right, so here is the story of Pierre who did not care. Well, as the story suggests, he did not care. And his mother disciplined him and told him to do certain things. And of course, Pierre responded with everything, I don't care. Pierre, don't pour syrup on your hair. Pierre said, I don't care. Pierre's parents left him alone, and Pierre just did not care. Pierre got into all sorts of trouble. A lion showed up his door, and Pierre said, I don't care. You know when Pierre started to care? When he got eaten by a lion. <laughs> then Pierre began to care. The moral of the story, the book concludes, is care. Your actions matter. And... If there's no lion at the end of the story, there's no accountability. If there's no judgment, there's no accountability. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear, right? It says, look, if all there is is this life, if you and I aren't to be held accountable for anything, then hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for that's all you got. But the Christians don't believe that, though. The Christians believe that your actions matter, and you and I will be held accountable for our actions. And there is a lion at the end of the story. I think I've referenced this before, but there are many reasons my marriage is still intact. But one of the reasons is uh, because I'm afraid of my dad. <laughs> like, there's... <laughs> That's one reason why I'm still married. Not the only reason, not a primary reason, but I'm afraid of him. And he's long gone. There's an accountability to our actions and a health. Do we still believe that God is going to be angry? Yes. That may sound medieval. Friends, we can't ignore it. Your actions matter. You will be held accountable. Are you saved by faith in what you believe? Absolutely. Do your actions matter? Absolutely. The subject of the end is, uh, the study of the end is called eschatology. That's what we've been thinking about, the return of Christ. And our ethics are tied to our eschatology. In order to be prepared, we must live out our convictions over the long haul. Third parable, the parable of the talents. Again, the master goes away, and when he departs, he entrusts his servants with talents. Now, talents at that time was a sum of money. I think we could broadly expand that to talents, how we would understand them, gifts and abilities. And in the master's absence, some of the good stewards put the talents to work, and the wicked servants bury the talent. Again, the point of the parable is clear. God has entrusted each of us with talents. He has blessed us with much. 
personally speaking. I am blessed with a good family of origin, a good home, a good education, a good family, above average children, to quote uh, uh, Garrison Keillor. God has given each of you, he's given me much, and to one who much is given, much is expected. The faithful steward invests and stewards what has been entrusted to them. Martin Luther, this is probably apocryphal, but Martin Luther was asked what he would do today if he knew Christ would return tomorrow. And his answer, again, Luther probably never said this, but for some reason it's credited to him. He said, if Christ would return tomorrow, I would plant a tree today. Now that is a good answer. Why? Because God's creation is one thing that you and I have been entrusted with. And planting a tree is one way to steward what has been entrusted to us. In order to prepare, we must steward what has been entrusted. Fourth and final parable, this from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, and the most sobering of the four. It is the parable of Christ's return, and upon his return, he will separate sheep from goat. And this is from verse 31. Uh, All will be gathered before him and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Sheep will be welcomed, goats will be excluded. And the distinction between the sheep and the goats is their compassion for the least of these. The poor, the sheep, those who are welcomed, feed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, welcomed to the stranger, clothed the naked, visited the prisoner, Matthew chapter 25, verse 36. The point of the parable, again, is clear. Mercy and compassion to the least is one of the criteria upon which you and I will be judged. There is simply no way around it. That is why it is so vital that we, as a church, keep our ears tuned to the needs of the world. For the refugee, for the unborn, for the homeless. This is why it is so vital that you and I strive to maintain an attitude of compassion and mercy. Those things are hard for us. It is easy to be dismissive, judgmental, and critical. But we have received mercy and compassion from God, and mercy and compassion to the least are one criteria upon which you and I will be weighed. Let me summarize. The return of Christ in glory to judge, to vindicate, to make all things new, is not a metaphor. It is not a figure of speech. It is an actual event in real history that you and I anticipate. The return of Christ in glory to judge, vindicate, and make all things new is not secondary. It is essential to the identity of Jesus and it is essential to his own teaching. Jesus spoke often about his absence and he told his disciples what to do in his delayed return. Be prepared. Your deliberate personal assessment of Jesus and verbal affirmation of the same is important. He may come sooner than you think. He may take longer than you think. Persevere. Persevere in all things. 
but especially in your character and behavior. Third, while Jesus is away, he has entrusted you with many things. You and I must faithfully steward what has been entrusted to us. Fourth, compassion and mercy, character traits which were so evident in Jesus will be one of the criteria upon which his followers are weighed. A living faith, good works, faithful stewardship, and compassion for the poor. O oh God, you sent your messenger, the prophets, to prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warning so that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus. Amen. Please rise.